Welcome, food enthusiasts, to this episode of the Future Foodcast. I'm Pam Line Miller, your host, and I, again, we have a really great guest who's going to delve into an area that not a lot of us think about, but that impacts every one of us. We have Alfred Scolia with us, and he is a food safety consultant with a really broad background that he's going to tell us a little bit about as we go. Welcome to the podcast, Alfred. Thank you so much, Pam. I'm really happy to be here and, and tell your listeners all about uh, food safety. I mean, that's really what I consider my career all about. Yeah. You know, um, I started out uh, in my younger years as a food inspector, you know, and I learned a lot about food safety as a regulatory person. And, uh, you know, and then I started my own business and we've been in business for 20 years now. And yeah. so we do all kinds of things. But before I get into that, I just wanted to give your listeners a reason why they need to think about food safety. That would be great. Thanks. Yeah. Alan. Yeah. So uh, I was doing a little bit of research uh, and uh, I found that about 163 million people or 64 percent of adults dine out at least once a week. So that's a lot of people that eat out. And another study said that the American average American eats out five times a week. So then you have to think about, okay, what, a, what is everybody doing when they're not eating out? Of course, they're shopping. Okay. <laughs> so we have restaurant safety to think about and supermarket safety, which includes everything down the line from suppliers, farms, everything. You know, we want to make sure we are eating food that is not only good quality and wholesome, but safe to eat. So we won't get foodborne illness. That's so yeah. So everybody is affected by food safety. Now, the not so fun statistics are is how many people get sick. According to CDC, about 30 million people get sick every year from a foodborne illness from eating out. And that boils down to, you know, 50,000 hospitalized, and unfortunately, 3,000 people die every year from foodborne illness. So it's pretty serious stuff. Um, the only thing I can tell you that's good news, especially about that last number, is that has just decreased a lot over the last three decades that I've been teaching. It used to be 9,000 deaths a year, and now it's only three. And that's because we've raised the level of compliance in restaurants and supermarkets and, you know, across the board with, with food safety. So uh, it's a very good place for consumers to be now, you know, rather than in the 50s and 60s. You know, we know more what kind of conditions cause foodborne illness. And so as an inspector and as a consultant, because we do both, we go out and enforce the food code emphasizing things that we call risk factors, things that are more apt to cause foodborne illness, like a sick employee or a, an employee with poor personal hygiene or somebody not uh, washing a cutting board after they put raw chicken on it uh, and not sanitizing. So we're looking for all kinds of things like that, you know, so all of your listeners can benefit, all of, all of us eaters. <laughs> yeah, all of us eaters. And we don't really think about all that on the 
that happens before we get our food. I mean, we, we want it to be safe and we know generally it is, but as a consultant at an inspector, it's really very specific. The things that you're looking for when you go into a restaurant or a food preparation area, I know on the front end, you talked about kind of being a consultant. You you actually go in and help on before restaurants are even creating their spaces, don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, we do pre-operational inspections. Yeah. Uh, and we even before that sometimes do a plan review. I have a client right now that's opening up a restaurant and uh, they need to submit their plan to uh, the health department before they can even, even build, before they can even renovate. You know what I mean? So I'm helping them with their application process, guiding them and, you know, the right equipment, the right location, you know, staffing, et cetera, all that stuff. Sure. And that's a really important function that some of us don't even realize happens. You know, we, Mm -hmm. I know that things have to go through approvals and all that, but the fact that it's to the health department, you know, that it's health and safety related. And, and that's really where your expertise is. And then you come forward to when the locations are actually operating and mm-hmm. how do you get involved on that part? I mean, I've seen those restaurant grades up and all the different things that are checked off. Is that mm-hmm. really what you're involved with? Well, yes, uh, spe- not specifically the grading, but yes, okay. there are some towns in Massachusetts I know of some of the larger towns that will that will have that, you know what I mean? But the state food code doesn't require that. It just requires compliance, okay? So we don't go in there with the mindset of, you know, this place is going to either pass or fail. You know, we just want to check their compliance. So number one, my job as a reporter, especially when I'm working as a consultant, because we do contract work for several towns, doing regulatory inspections under contract. So I'm reporting to the town what I see. And of course, I'm making recommendations to the owners and managers, giving them pointers and trying to educate them. You know, it doesn't do much good to say you're wrong and leave it at that. You know, you have to explain why it affects food safety. And in many cases, it affects their bottom line. You know, if they get a foodborne illness, it doesn't uh, make good news. (laughs) That's a that's a really important function. And I I should say, I mean, you're in Massachusetts, but the states all have regulations that they set. So this is happening here in the United States, at least in all of the states to some level. That's correct. So the federal government puts out a document called the Federal Food Code. And it's kind of like the Bible of the food industry. So uh, states, counties, and other jurisdictions use this food code as a template for their own regulations. So usually it's the states that pass a regulation, like for instance, in our state, Almost four years ago now, actually, it was four years ago, we passed a new regulation 2018, and that was based on the 2013 version of the federal food code. So in this federal food code is very interesting because it's written by a group of experts, and they're known as the uh, Conference on Food Protection, which uh, when they meet every four years, there's people from regulatory, there's people from academia, and there's people from the food industry. And they decide on what needs to be changed, you know, what can be improved, 
whenever there's new concepts or new equipment, you know, maybe we need to regulate uh, just so we can ensure safety. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, there's a certain bacteria called listeria that, um, you know, can cause very serious illness. And uh, years ago, it wasn't known that it grows in refrigerated temperature at the time, which was 45 or below. So when scientists did some studies, and of course, this was presented to the conference, and they recommended to the FDA, hey, this listeria grows at 42 degrees, 45 is not safe enough. So guess what? Now the regulation is 41. So that's what this uh, this body does, making recommendations to FDA. And then all that knowledge and wisdom is passed on to the states. And usually states follow it, you know, maybe not 100% because they might want to change some enforcement procedures or, or whatever. But basically, uh, you know, Massachusetts and other states follow the food code. So it's a pretty much a standard of quality and safety. Yeah. Good to know that that's out there and that it also is open to changing as we're able to discover more things. That's about, right. You know, foodborne illness or, or what might cause people problems, then they can put that into the food code to be adopted uh, by the states and, and put out for everyone to benefit from. Like you said, in your example, wow, that was a great revelation. And now everyone is going to be safe from that illness if the temperatures are kept. So that's the other part. I'm sure that you probably get involved with making sure helping to know that the temperatures are, make sure restaurants have their temperatures um, set correctly so that they're going to be following that. That's right. So uh, refrigeration temperatures, extremely important. Uh, cooking temperatures, holding temperatures. You know, there is what we call a danger zone where foodborne illness bacteria or pathogens like to grow. And so we don't want food to be hanging out in that range very long. And that's 41 to 135 Fahrenheit. Okay. So yeah, that's what we do lots of times. Because, you know, when you take food out of the fridge to prep it, of course, it's going to get warmer. Okay. Or if you take hot food, and you take it off the heat source, it's going to get cooler. And both of those uh, actions of basically doing nothing but watch it get more and more into the danger zone are dangerous if it's if it's there too long. Yeah. So pr procedure wise, I guess, setting it up so that you're not having those situations occur, trying to keep your supply and demand going to such a an extent that you're not have you're not going into the danger zone with too much food. You want to really be able to process that well. I'm I'm imagining to set it up that way on the front end. So that's really important. Mm -hmm. Yep. Tell us about some of the different, I, I know there's different regulations and um, codes. I mean, there's a universal code you had mentioned before and uh, some mm -hmm. of the different things you follow. Can you, can you break that down a little bit for our Well, audience? sure. So when I was talking about the federal food code, I mean, yeah. that's, that's, that's actually not not the regulation, but what stems from that is the state regulations. Okay. Okay. And some city and county jurisdictions have their own too. But anyway, so that's the regulatory piece of food safety enforcement. Of course, in our state and many states, it is the local cities and towns that actually enforce the state code. In other 
In other jurisdictions, it's the county or the state goes out and does the inspections. Then you have you have food industry standards, which sometimes can go above and beyond what regulations require. Okay. And this is usually for quality purposes or for, you know, like if if somebody's making their favorite sauce, you know, and everybody likes their hot sauce and they want to sell it. Okay, if you want to get on the shelf of a major supermarket chain, uh, they're going to require you to have a HACCP plan. Now, a HACCP plan is basically a food safety plan that takes into account things that could go wrong, which we call hazards, and has a plan for dealing with them and making corrections if needed, et cetera. So um, this HACCP plan wouldn't normally be required for them making this sauce, say, in their own restaurant. But once they bottle it and sell it wholesale and put it in a supermarket, the supermarket chain and, you know, their customers may require this extra uh, layer of safety, if you will, okay. uh, which is called the HACCP plan or food safety plan. And HACCP is capital H, capital A, capital C, capital C, capital P, if anybody wants to go look that up. That's uh, right. Might be interested in that or has a product out there that they're thinking, yeah, I I do want to commercialize this and sell it. To Alfred's point, you're going to have to have a HACCP plan. So go check that out and get get that part done. Uh, Well, there's also you make available. And I know that a lot of food service people take classes in proper procedure and how Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that your consultancy does as well as offers training, correct? That's right. That's right. So uh, across the country, what's required in the federal food code, as well as the state food code, is, is food manager certification. And it's a, it's a comprehensive, you know, uh, video presentation or, you know, I do an in-class personal presentation um, at, with a slideshow and then we give an exam. So they're required to pass the exam mm-hmm. and have at least one person per shift who is certified okay. uh, or at least knowledgeable. And then they get a certificate and they post it. And, you know, this is what one of the things inspectors look for, that people are properly trained. And that's, you know, that's one of the reasons that I, I, I stated earlier that the statistics, the bad news is getting better, you know, as far as foodborne illness, you know, frequency, you know, uh, because of the requirement of certification, which wasn't around, say, before 2000, you know, okay. so it, it was it was voluntary. But as of the year 2000, at least in Massachusetts, it became mandatory. So we do that training. We also do another training called allergen awareness safety. You know, when I was a kid, I didn't know anybody that had a food allergy. But nowadays, if I happen to go to a a daycare and I do an inspection, I ask about allergens, you know, there'll be like a dozen out of 20 kids or 30 kids that have some kind of food allergy. It's absolutely crazy. So yes, that is regulated and people have to be very careful when a customer comes into their establishment uh, and stating that they have a a food allergy. And so you have to make sure that you're preparing that food safely so it doesn't get contaminated with things that they might be allergic to. Um, So um, that's the allergens and just allergy free preparation. You know, I've talked to even some universities, for example, that mm-hmm. 
that ha- are creating allergy-free, you know, the top seven or eight allergens that they're creating um, kitchens that guarantee the food prepared there will not have any of those top seven or eight allergens that people are identifying uh, these days. And so it is a much bigger issue for the public and to be paying attention to menus and how food is prepared. I know I've seen where they'll say this is prepared a lot, you know, other things here that are prepared have nuts or whatever it might be, gluten. um, Absolutely. They want to make sure. and, And I'm sure that is a legal thing for them to have on their information so that somebody knows that's the case and they're not going to be liable when um, consumption happens and it might have a little bit of, of nut on it or gluten or whatever the, the allergen that's, would be. That's right. You know, so these are all things that we look for. And yeah. then one other piece of, of training that we do is there's a training called the food handler card, sure. you know, which is for people that are preparing food. Some towns uh, require it, you yeah. know, that everyone who's handling food go through a very basic training. And that one can be done at home. They don't have to come to a class. That's only a couple hour video. Okay. Uh, and then um, we also do CPR and anti-choke uh, okay. because there is a requirement, at least in Massachusetts, if your restaurant has 24 people or more, uh, somebody needs to be trained in anti-choke, you know, so that can save a life, obviously. So Yes. Uh, our team is is doing that. And we're, we've just started up our classes here in 2022. Very neat. Well, you know, I have always kept my CPR and first aid certification up to date because I think it's very important. You never know who you're going to be around. It could be a family member or loved one, but it could also be a stranger that might need your help. Absolutely. And sure. To be able yeah. to uh, to render that help is really, really important when you're in that environment. What else is there that we need to know about what you're doing, Alfred, and and what consumers should know or what they should be looking out for in the area of food safety. Anything at home that we need that because we, we aren't inspected. So <laughs> what are what are some of the things that we can be thinking about? Uh, I've heard you talk about not not leaving maybe cooked food out for too long. You talked about that in the process so that it starts to get mm-hmm. warmer and get in the danger zone. So that's that's a takeaway for me. Sure, I can think of a, a few things here. So uh, absolutely, don't leave food out in the danger zone. You know, one hour is okay. You know, of course, when you're going from cold to hot or hot to cold, you have to pass through this danger zone, uh, which is which is expected and it's, and it's perfectly normal. But leaving it there, more than more than two hours, like okay. three or four hours, uh, that can be dangerous because bacteria multiply. You know, they multiply by just splitting in half, and they can do that under the right conditions in just twenty or thirty minutes. So you have, you know, two plus two is four, eight, sixteen, thirty-two. The numbers get huge in yeah. a very fast time. And um, what else was I thinking of? Oh, so storage. One of the things that's important with dairy, especially uh, with regard to this bacterial listeria, Mm -hmm. is make sure that any cheese you have in your refrigerator, first of all, your refrigerator is cold and it is maintaining 41. You should have a thermometer in your own fridge where you store your perishables. And uh, if it's not, uh, certainly, you know, adjust it or get a new fridge, whatever you need to do, you know, but 41 or below uh, is what you need to safely store uh, what we call TCS foods or potentially hazardous foods. 
Okay. So, um, and with cheese, especially adhere to the sell by date or the use by date. Uh Don't use it past the date. You know what I mean? Something like milk, you know, it goes bad. You know, we can smell it or we can look at it and we don't even have to think about is it good or not, you know? And of course, you can look at the date too. But sometimes with cheese, because it has a longer shelf life, people aren't apt to check it to see Uh when it's actually expiring. So, uh, and of course, that's one of the things um, where, you know, listeria has been found. So just just be careful of that. Good. I definitely Um, will because I really enjoy cheese. And I don't always look at the at the use by date. I I often will just look at it or or Mm -hmm. taste it, but which is not the best thing to do. Right. It shouldn't be. Right. 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 (laughs) It might not be good. Oh, well. And another general point, I mean, hopefully people are doing this anyway, but washing your hands whenever they get become contaminated, especially after using the bathroom, you know, whether you're home, whether you're in a public restaurant, you know, uh, that that's, that's a must. And then, you know, cleaning and sanitizers. people don't use sanitizers at home, you know, uh, but hopefully they have a dishwasher, you know, with a hot setting, some even have a sanitizer setting, you know, but if you're, if you're cleaning it good, um, I remember when I worked for the state, they actually did a study, two heads of lettuce, And uh, one of them, they just rinsed. They didn't use any soap or anything, but they rinsed it like you normally would. You know, like when you open up uh, a piece of romaine, you might see dirt in there. So obviously you remove all that stuff. And then the other one, they did nothing to. And they put them on a Petri dish and counted the bacteria the next day. The one that wasn't washed had 10,000 times more bacteria than the one that was. Oh, so if you're doing a good job cleaning, you really are removing most of the bacteria. Okay. You know, when you add the sanitizing step, you're doing even better. You know what I mean? But, but certainly we don't want to sanitize food, you know, right. uh, that just puts chemicals in food that we don't want. Yeah. So you clean your hands, you know, at, at least 100 degrees Fahrenheit, your water should be, okay. you know, so make sure you're scrubbing good. You know, sometimes people forget to do, you know, in the crease or their cuticle or fingernail or wrists, you know, get it all. So your hands are clean. And uh, of course, if you're working in a food establishment, you need to use gloves when you're handling anything that's not going to be cooked. We call those uh, ready to eat foods. And when people go to your training class, they will learn that. (laughs) Yes, that's right. That's right. Well, and thank you for going a little bit, a little bit down a rabbit trail with me, Alfred. But I was just thinking, you know, we're talking Mm -hmm. about commercial situations, but most of our audience also prepares food at home. Yes, I I get it. And so really good, helpful tips for us to take away to be able to use in our own environments to just improve that food safety, just even at home. Uh, So you, you work in the front end with providers and food service providers. You're also working in the active restaurants and other facilities that are preparing food. You're helping with the training of personnel that works in the food space. We have covered a lot of things here, but is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners before we go today? Well, you know, I I think we we covered a lot. You know, Um, one of the other things that we do is we 
we work for uh, food processors, warehouses, bakeries, bottling plants. You know, if they want an inspection to help them prepare for the state coming in or FDA coming in. So I have many clients like that. And of course, some, if they need a HACCP plan or food safety plan, mm -hmm. I will develop that for them. I will uh, review it. I will revise it. Right. And so, you know, we offer a lot of services out there and, you know, hopefully you can, you can leave my contact information and website, you know, uh, so if people want to contact us, you know, it'll be easy for them. Yeah, that'll all be connected with this podcast so they can find you and good to know that you can do kind of the pre-inspection inspection, inspection. <laughs> yeah. the state or whatever's coming in, you can help them prepare. And that's going to up level their food safety process across the board, because we all know the negatives of a manufacturing facility or other facility not following the proper procedure or not mm -hmm. taking care of an issue when it's happening. I mean, it causes just havoc down the line. And we've seen some issues in the recent news. So you have a very important function and we we really appreciate you coming and sharing with us today, Alfred. Thanks for, thanks for being on the Future Foodcast. Very glad to, to share. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks for listening to Future Foodcast. Future Foodcast is powered by Farm to Plate, the leading food blockchain platform. Subscribe on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts to stay up to date with the very latest innovations in the food industry. 